Today is October 30th, 2020. Big tech executives head to Capitol Hill to testify before the Senate. Biden and Trump face off in Arizona and Florida. And the Supreme Court hands down a decision that the Democrats loved. Hello, friends and family. Welcome back. We got another great show for you today. One that I'd even be willing to say, believe it or not, is the best podcast that we've done yet. I'm telling you, the day here before Halloween, it's getting spooky in here because of how good this podcast is about to be. Thank you for tuning in and checking us out. If you are new, just a heads up, we are a political podcast that does its best to look at the left side of the aisle the right side of the aisle, and try to find the good difference that's in between both of them. Oftentimes, there's truth in the midst of a whole bunch of chaos that uh, the media and oftentimes your crazy Aunt Susan may all always be telling you exists. Well, there's good and there's truth sitting in the middle of all of it. And uh, here on Split the Difference, our goal is to find that good sweet spot in the middle uh, where We may agree with some things on the left, we may agree with some things on the right, but at the end of the day, we want to do our best to stay level-headed, to be reasonable, and generally split the difference. So, with all of that having been said, let's move on into our story number one. So, first story. Executives from big tech head on in to Capitol Hill on Wednesday to testify before the Senate. And let me tell y'all, it went down. There was a whole bunch of, bar- I mean, just chatting back and forth, a whole bunch of senators trying to get on some of these big tech executives. As y'all have known over the past couple weeks, if you've listened through the podcast or if you've watched the news in other areas, big tech companies have come under increasing pressure, especially from the right side of the aisle right now. Uh, Republicans are furious because they believe that here, right before the election, The big tech companies have done their best to squander mostly right-leaning stories that would be disparaging to Joe Biden. So uh, a lot of this was sparked from the New York Post article that came out about Hunter Biden. Twitter, of course, and Facebook immediately blackballed that story from getting any type of big publicity. Uh, That obviously caused outrage on the right. And many conservatives have argued that this is a problem for a long time, whether it's shadow banning more conservative news articles or shadow banning more conservative content. A lot of people on the right side of the aisle have argued and have said for a long time that big tech is actively working against Republicans. This is also a huge qualm that Trump has raised pretty much every single day of his presidency and before that, that the whole media is out to get him and that big tech is out to get him as well. So... The obvious problem here lies in the fact that these large tech companies have an incredible amount of power. We can all agree, regardless of which side of the aisle that you fall on, these companies are gigantic and they are interwoven and interweaved all into, interweaved, I'm pretty sure it's not a word, but they are interwoven all into our lives. They are everywhere we go. They're in our pocket. They are on our computer. They are how we communicate with our family. That's how we see or catch up with our friends. It's, you know, every, we're all, the vast majority of people are on social media all day, every day. Or they have a phone in their pocket that they're calling people on, texting people on, and it tells them where to go and how it is that they should cook their food. It runs all of our lives. Tech, you know, technology is incredibly important to everything that we do in our everyday lives now. And as a result, 
these tech companies, you know, and especially the people at the top, have a lot of important decisions to make as to the type of content that we're seeing, the type of content that we're reading, who it is that we're interacting with and how we're interacting with them. So many, they've come under fire from both the left and the right for a while that people are basically saying, you guys have too much power and some of the stuff that you're doing looks a little bit nefarious. So we need to dive in and figure out what exactly it is that they're doing. So as right now, I guess sit down and kind of examine, look at a little bit the two different perspectives because the left and the right both, yes, agree that big tech is very, very big and kind of needs to have some, some, some different things happen in order to kind of shake things out properly, but they disagree with what is necessarily going on and how in order to solve the problem. So the left, the left is pushing for much more fact checking and is much more concerned about disinformation. The left, for the most part, wants to be able to stop disinformation and misinformation from being sent around the internet at incredible speeds, and they would rather shut down that information before it's able to reach a whole lot of people. So the presiding sentiment on the left is basically that disinformation is much more harmful than the impact that quelling disinformation would have on free speech. Many cite how people online are getting rid of or are basically are receiving information that is radicalizing them. Great examples that a lot of people on the left use are uh, ISIS recruitment, are uh, white nationalism and uh, terrorist organ white nationalist terrorist organizations that are domestic starting to grow. Uh, you have started to see, especially over the past couple of years, uh, white nationalist terrorism and domestic terrorism specifically that is. Uh, that is more centered on the right side of the aisle, the alt-right side of the aisle, has increased in recent years. And many on the left are saying that this is a result of a lot of these large tech companies that have a whole lot of content on them that is radicalizing these people and radicalizing these groups. Um, a lot of these are people are absolutely awful terrorists, and they're completely right. It would be absolutely terrible, you know, when to be able to log on to social media and see ISIS beheading somebody, or and that's one of the things that they did. They used to do, um, and basically the idea is that if the person doesn't do the work to research whether or not what they're looking at is true, or whether or not the information is good, or whether or not they should be looking at that information then the user of that social media will look at that information and not be able to make a good cognitive decision on their own, or maybe they just won't have the time and the energy to be able to research more. And so they slowly start to believe the misinformation that they're hearing. So we've also seen Trump attack, uh, at, use basically a lot of the, a little bit of this line of reasoning uh, as an attack on the media in general. So uh, they don't, a lot of the left doesn't like that Trump attacks the media as a whole, saying that they are the fake news media, right? Um, Trump has oftentimes come out and said that um, the fact checking is always against him personally, uh, basically that um, all of the media and all the social media is out to get him. And the left basically doesn't like the fact that Trump is, is able to, A, use his social media to do what they call spread misinformation. But they also don't like the fact that Trump is coming out and trying to discredit the media all the time um, through social media, oftentimes. So 
The reason why they argue that this is different now is because big tech is allowing people to be cut off completely from other points of view and be inundated with information that would be false, whereas before they wouldn't have necessarily had nearly as much misinformation being inundated or them being inundated with that much misinformation in the past. So um, the argument on the left is big tech needs to control what is being sent out if it is misinformation. So that way we don't have a lot of people that are believing things that are completely untrue. And you're seeing a lot of this, you know, with the fact checking or uh, you're seeing a lot of this with uh, people cancel culture, right? When somebody does something bad or somebody says something that's wrong, we need to cancel them. We need to everybody get together in a mob and attack this person in order to quiet their voice and cancel their voice. So what is the right thing? The right is pushing for a crackdown in anti-conservative bias. Now, that's pretty much the push. This is what brought everybody, all the big tech whizzes up, up to Capitol Hill. A bunch of the Republicans were like, you know what? We're tired of it. We think you guys have anti-conservative bias. We want to come through. We want to quit. We want to stop that. Well, the way they want to stop that is they want to revise Section 230, out of a, a specific act that was passed in, I think, I believe 1996, called the Communications Decency Act. That act more or less protected social media and technology companies from all of the things that their users would be posting. So it gives them, in a lot of ways, discretion over what it is that they allow onto their platforms and what it is that they don't allow onto their platforms. It's protected them a ton and is basically what has kept allowed the social media companies in a lot of ways to be able to grow to the size that they are without having to pay for all these incredible litigation expenses that they would have otherwise had to pay with if people were able to sue the companies themselves for the stuff that was posted on their through their medium. So the right is basically arguing that protecting free speech is much more important than censoring misinformation. Uh, they worry that they... They worry that they have, or I guess the worry that the right has in general, is that because of the size of these tech companies, they have them having the ability to decide whether whether or not something gets on their platforms is a direct control of the freedom of speech that Americans have. So, um, they don't want tech companies manipulating what users see especially if they're going to have a bias one way or another. So obviously there are good points on both sides. All right. We can agree. Number one on the left side of the aisle, misinformation is incredibly difficult to stop online. And there is no doubt that an incredible inundation of misinformation can and will oftentimes radicalize people that otherwise wouldn't have been radicalized. Okay. At the same time, we can argue that the Republicans have a very good, or the right side of the aisle has a very good uh, argument as well. The First Amendment was put in place, and when it was put in place, it was, you know, because you when you have one person or when you have a group of people that are deciding whether or not somebody can say something or whether or not somebody can espouse a specific belief, when that was put in place, that was a huge fear. And it still is a gigantic fear now. People are very, very, very worried about social media deciding whether, whether or not you see or take in certain information. So let's think about it a little bit. When the First Amendment was written, okay, think about the context in which it was written and think about the context that we're in right now. You oftentimes hear that right now things are completely different with big tech because 
With big tech, you only receive the information that you feel like you want to hear, okay? Well, when the First Amendment was written, I don't think that it was really all that different, okay? Obviously, I'm not saying that there was Facebook sending around everything, anything and everything that you wanted to see. But what I am saying is, in the late 1700s and early 1800s, when all of this was being <laughs> written and formulated and put together and thought through, if you wanted to know the news and what was happening, you had to walk on over and pick up the newspaper from your local newspaper that was in your small town. The only way you were going to be able to get any other any other type of outside opinion is if you lived in a larger city and you could afford to buy multiple newspapers. So as a result, if a newspaper or if a publication site or if somebody that was writing a pamphlet or writing a book wanted you to believe their opinion, all they had to do was write it down. And for the most part, that was kind of the only thing that you got to see. If a newspaper or political pundit wanted to convince you of their opinion, if uh, you only wanted to hear the opinion of one specific person, then that would be all that you read, okay? And honestly, you didn't really have a lot of choice. You had to read the newspaper that was in your local town. So that was unless, of course, somebody decided to open up a newspaper or a publication across the street from that person and have a differing bias or a differing point of view. The idea that newspapers have were historically completely unbiased. And then all of a sudden, within the last 15 to 20 years, there's become this incredible amount of bias in the media. That is not true. Just in the same way that in the early 1900s or the mid-1800s or the mid-1950s, presidents and uh, politicians had to go to newspapers that they knew would favor them a little bit more. They would look at them much more favorably. We have to do, they have to do the same thing now. And it's not any different from the way that it was years and years and years ago. Um, now, it just seems like it's much more in your face because you're paying attention to it a lot, a lot more and you are, you, know, you are able to receive a lot more information. The difference now, obviously, is also the fact that like, you're able to receive information from multiple different sources. That didn't really used to happen. So, um, the idea, I guess, that we are living in a time where now we have, you know, less opportunity to get a variety of sources, that is not true. And the idea that we are living in a time right now where uh, the media and everything is way more biased than it's ever been, and that um, there's the, you get into an echo chamber and there's no way that you can possibly get out of it, that is also not true. Now, yes, the majority of the media tends to be much more left-wing. But that historically is also true. The left wing of, of America, the more progressive side of America, has normally drifted towards liberal arts and universities and media and newspapers. That just kind of is historically what has tended to happen. So the founders, when they wrote the First Amendment, believed that the best way to protect free speech was to have a lot of better speech and spread basically spread around that good speech as much as you possibly can. I agree with that 100%. It really scares me to think that we're going to have politicians going in 
and saying that it should be up to the social media companies to decide what it is that people see and don't see. And I think that especially the left side of the aisle should be incredibly weary of all of these large tech companies deciding what is misinformation or what is correct that people are allowed to see because it won't be very long before the left starts to cut in on their profits or before they start making more money for the from the other side of the aisle and... The, they start deciding that a lot of the stuff on the left side of the aisle is misinformation. And then we have, you know, they're furious about everything. So I think that whenever you're looking at restricting or trying to quell free speech in any way, the reason why the United States has one of the most liberal and by far one of the more uh, relaxed speech laws in the entire world is because we believe that that freedom of speech is pivotal for being able to push out messages of change that need to occur. Great example is abolition of slavery. A great example is uh, the civil rights during the 50s and the 60s. Those were not the most common opinions in the United States at the time. But because of freedom of speech, the freedom to protest, the freedom to get your voice out, they are now the overwhelming sentiment within the United States. People's hearts and minds have been able to be changed as a result of that. So more better speech is the answer for curing misinformation and bad speech, not getting rid of the speech completely. And that is something that I, that is a hill I will 100% die on. I don't necessarily think the Republicans have everything right, but if the Republicans are going to be the one that defends free speech, then I can get on board with that with the Republicans. If the left side of the aisle, which is amazing to me because they historically have always been the arbiters of free speech. If the left side of the aisle wants to start saying that tech companies can limit what people post on social media and that the tech companies should be the ones that are limiting and deciding being the arbiters of truth, I'm not on, I can't get on board with that. That is a very, very slippery slope. So with all that being said, let's go ahead, move on into our story number two. So second story of the day, Biden and Trump face off in Arizona and Florida. These are two huge, pivotal swing states for the two candidates. Everything's going to be decided here in this upcoming Tuesday. We'll get into a little bit more of it won't actually be decided on Tuesday. We'll find out a little bit more probably after that. But that's story number three. As of now, we have some all kinds of good stuff going on in uh, the polls and going on in with Trump and Biden. So let's go ahead and hop in and take a look at uh, this Trump rally in Arizona. I mean, Trump was, man, was on his A game out there just doing what he's doing per usual. So let's hop in and take a listen to this. We will expand opportunity zones, reduce your taxes, obliterate your regulations like we've done. Nobody has ever done what we've done to regulations and provide school choice to every parent in America. We will hire more police, increase penalties for assaults on law enforcement, and we will ban deadly sanctuary cities. We will defend religious liberty, free speech, the right to life, and the right to keep Everybody's and out there cheering. Arms. We will maintain America's unrivaled military might. Nobody has Everybody's the equipment. They're cheering, no mask. Woo! We are the envy of the world militarily. Nobody has done. And when I came the first week, I was told by one of the world's most overrated generals, sir, we have no ammunition. Now we have so much ammunition, we don't know what the hell to do with it, okay? 
All right, so Donald Trump is getting up there, and he is just doing what he's doing. He's trying to rally up the troops before November 3rd, and he is hitting all the points, right? Every single point, every single point. We're going to have school choice. We're going to have a right to life, obviously talking about abortion. You're going to be able to keep your guns, okay? We're, we're going to get rid of these sanctuary cities. I mean, he's just hitting every single point. And all those people out there, nobody's wearing a mask. And they're just like, yeah, that's my president. And they're just getting it, right? So Biden's rallies are completely different. And when I say completely different, I mean the polar opposite. So in Arizona, Trump and Biden, at the same time, on the same day, had rallies that were only about 30 miles apart. Trump is packing out Goodyear Stadium. I mean, like, there are thousands of people in there, hardly any of them wearing masks, elbow to elbow, screaming, yelling, and spitting on each other and having a great time. Biden's, on the other hand, his rally is, Biden-Harris, basically pretty sparse, not a ton of people there, and purposefully so. I'm not going to be sitting here like, oh, Biden can't get anybody to his rally. I'm sure he probably can. But most of them, every single one of them wearing masks, face shields, you probably saw a couple in hazmat suits out there, overly cautious. Most people are in their cars, well over six feet apart. It's very quiet. They're not screaming and yelling and cheering. They're kind of going over their policy. They're doing their thing. Let's hop in real quick and take a look at uh, some of the stuff with Joe Biden as well. And check out the Joe Biden supporters at Steel Indian School Park. They gathered with music and games before riding their bikes together to the polls. We spoke to the Phoenix Mayor Kate Gallego, at the rally, who says she is excited for this election. The eyes of the entire country seem like they're on Phoenix, Arizona. People from all over are coming to campaign here because our vote matters and could determine so many outcomes. All right, so uh, that video started out with a small, like, I think Native American ceremony of some sort. And then a bunch of Biden supporters got together with their masks on and they got on their bikes with their helmets and they rode slowly to where the Biden rally would be. And then they went to the Biden rally and it was really just Kamala Harris up there talking about policy stuff and saying that Trump is terrible. Pretty, uh, pretty standard Biden rally stuff at this point. Completely different audiences, completely different groups of people, and this is exactly what both of them want heading into November 3rd. They both believe that they have the perfect message to be able to get the American people going and out to the polls. One of the biggest stories of the day from the Biden uh, rally was actually that Cher, who Cher has openly come out and denounced any support for Trump, Donald Trump at all. But Cher came out and did a little concert out in Arizona, I believe, as well, which was incredibly mediocre. Um, so it is, it honestly is mind-blowing how different these crowds are. You look at Donald Trump's crowds, and it's primarily people in their probably 40s, 50s, 60s, almost every single one of them white, all, none of them wearing masks, rooting, tooting, having a great time. You look at Biden and Kamala Harris, and for the most part, it's a pretty diverse crowd. There's a bunch of different ages, a bunch of different ethnicities, a uh, whole bunch of different people out there. All of them are very quiet. All of them are out there just listening, you know, not super enthused. It doesn't seem like, at least from the ones that I've watched. Um, that doesn't mean that Biden voters aren't going to show up at the polls, because I think that they absolutely will. 
But Biden's not out there basically gassing everybody up, saying that the coronavirus is a hoax, saying that uh, every the whole world's going to blow up if you know if his opponent wins and all kinds of stuff. Like Trump is just that's just the kind of guy he is, and that's the people that he's trying to get rallied to go to the polls. He knows his base. So um, this is kind of when we're heading now into November 3rd, they've only got a couple of days left, right? We're only, what, four or five days away from being able to head get to November 3rd. They are basically both making their final stretch and their final pitch. So there's been a good bit of contraction around the polls right now, and Donald Trump is actually only down by about 7%, whereas according to Real Clear Politics, if you look over the past couple months, he was really down like double digits to Biden. So... It's going to be interesting to see how Donald Trump's pitch of the Democrats want to shut everything down. The coronavirus isn't that big of a deal. Um, Everything is going to be just fine. The economy is going to come back booming, which he did get some good news about the economy here uh, with, I think, within the past day or so about GDP going back up. But. Donald Trump is hitting this with way more energy than Joe Biden is going into the final couple days. Now, will that be able to make up for a lot of the damage that Donald Trump has done over the past couple months? I don't know, okay? I'm not going to sit here and predict the election for you. Maybe I'll do that on Monday, Monday, maybe. Uh, But what is clear is that Donald Trump is, is positioning himself as, I am... I'm the person that's going to come through and keep all of these crazy socialist, communist leftists from coming through and taking away your guns, taking away your rights, and I'm going to come through and I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of and make sure that you're okay. Whereas Biden is sitting there and he's like, listen, you see how crazy all of that is. Look at the rallies that this guy is holding in the midst of a global pandemic. I would never do that. I'm your sweet Uncle Joe. I'm just here to try and make sure that people are are getting a return back to normalcy. I want for things to be going okay, and I want for things to be going well. But if we have four more years of Donald Trump and the authoritarianism that he's trying to push, then the country is just going to go to crap. But very, you know, a lot, a whole lot less energy there. So um, with the amount of unrest right now that the country is feeling, it's going to be very interesting going into November 3rd. I, as far as I'm conce- concerned, the, the number one, I guess, fear that I have is that whoever wins, there's going to be a lot of protests, rioting, there's going to be a lot of unrest, and it's going to be incredibly difficult. I am hoping and praying that that does not happen. But in 2016, there was already a ton of protests that happened when Donald Trump won the presidency, and he's even more unliked now by a portion of the country than he was then. So it will be, uh, it, it will be extremely interesting to see the couple of weeks after the election, how all of that ends up shaking out. But hopefully, obviously people stay safe and things don't go downhill very quickly. So with all of that, let's head on in now to our story number three. So, story number three, the Supreme Court deals a blow to Republicans. Oh, that conservative majority went in and actually sided with the Democrats. Can y'all believe it? It is almost like the Supreme Court is not supposed to be some kind of partisan football that you can just kick back and forth. Huh, who would have thought? So, the Supreme Court said that a lower court ruling in North Carolina would stand that allowed mail-in ballots to be counted until November 12th. So that's nine days after the election is finalized. Um, 
North Carolina argued that they would need this amount of time to effectively count the number of ballots that the United States Postal Service said could be delayed because of the mail, which is honestly hilarious because that was the exact argument that Trump used to try and basically say that the United States Postal Service should never be, mail-in ballots shouldn't be a thing. There shouldn't be allowed to be mail-in ballots. So, what the Democrats did in North Carolina is they came out and they were like, well, the president and USPS said that mail-in ballots could take a long time. So in order to be able to count all of them, we want to be able to extend the date and we can count those ballots by nine days. And the Supreme Court was pretty much just like, all right, Republicans are not happy about this at all. This is a pretty big change to uh, how votes have been counted in the past. A pretty big change. So Basically, Trump made this argument for a long time. The mail system sucks. You put something in the mail and you might not even get it for another two or three weeks. You have no idea what's going on. And the Supreme Court said, well, if uh, your ballot is postmarked before or on November 3rd, then your vote can be counted for up to nine days after November 3rd. So, um, obviously, like I just said, this would only be for ballots postmarked on or before November 3rd. So the reason why I bring all of this story up is because, well, I guess for three reasons. One, this is a pretty big change to election law, and this is, in a lot of ways, what Democrats and Republicans have been fighting over nonstop over the past couple of months. But it really is primarily two things. First is the argument that conservative justices only vote with Republicans. That is the only thing that you've heard from the Democrats for the last two or really the past month and a half since uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away and the Republicans moved to fill her seat with Amy Coney Barrett. The biggest argument against Amy 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 Coney Barrett was that she was going to go in and she was going to shift everything to an extremely conservative majority on the court and that she was basically just going to do every single thing that the Republicans wanted her to do. She was going to get in there and vote only conservatively, that she was going to get in there and overturn all the things that the left has pushed for so long and that the conservative justices are just going to be falling in line, toting the party line per usual. The second thing that this means is actually a little bit of a bash on the Republicans. So, The Republicans, for the longest time, have said that they're going to put in constitutional originalists on the court because they want somebody that is only going to vote with what they believe the Constitution says. And that is pretty much what the Republicans have done. However, seeing how many Republicans have been infuriated by the fact that the Supreme Court picks didn't vote exactly the way that they would want to politically— shows that they are just doing the exact same thing that they accuse the Democrats of doing. So they have been saying for years that the Democrats are just trying to use the Supreme Court as a political football. They're just trying to use the Supreme Court to get through all the policies that they're not able to push through in the legislature, that uh, the Democrats are trying to just run roughshod over what the Supreme Court actually means and what it's there for. Yet, As soon as the Supreme Court, which, mind you, currently has a conservative majority, goes through and does something that the Republicans don't want, they're blown away. Wait a second. I can't believe that we're going to have a Supreme Court that doesn't vote the exact way that we feel like they should vote. Come on. That is so hypocritical. So back and forth. It's just so classic politicians. So... Here and over the past couple weeks, all the Republicans saying that uh, the Democrats just want a Supreme Court to do their bidding. And then now hearing Republicans angry because the Supreme Court did not do their bidding. Come on. Come on, man. 
I don't want it. I don't want to hear it anymore. So annoying. So, anyways, uh, bottom line is this is going to be a very close election. And this Supreme Court decision does not mean that there can't be and there won't be further litigation after the election. Uh, over voting, over voting laws, over ballots that were counted or weren't counting. And I mean, at the end of the day, it probably is going to end up just getting sent back right up to the Supreme Court here over the next couple of weeks. And we're just going to have to see how all of it plays out. But this is going to be in a close, a very, very close election come uh, next week. And uh, we're going to have to see how all of it plays out. It's going to be probably pretty wild. So with all of that, that's ending up our story number three. Let's head on in and finish up the show with our Made Me Smile, my favorite part of the show. So something that made me smile this week. Actually, I got to go on a sweet little lunch date with my wife, who is just the best wife in the whole wide world. And we went to go do her favorite thing, which is get a hot dog. She loves a good hot dog. And so... We went to a new little restaurant in Columbia, which is where I'm at right now. If you don't live in Columbia, I'm sorry, this may not be the greatest made you, made me smile for you. But in Columbia, a new hot dog place opened up not too long ago, a couple months ago, called uh, Greedy Rascals. And it is super good. If you've never eaten there, or if, you li- if you're ever in Columbia, or you live in Columbia, or around here sometime, definitely go check it out. They got a great dog. I got the slaw dog today, and it was fantastic. Had my chili, had my slaw on there. Everything that I needed, everything that I wanted, it hit the spot for my lunchtime happening. So, um, or actually, I went. we went yesterday. So, um, if you're ever in and around Columbia, totally go check them out, because they are, it was some good food. And everybody likes a good hot dog every now and then. All right, so with that, that is the show. Thank you for tuning in and for checking us out. Find me on all of the various social medias. I'm on Facebook at Split the Difference. I'm on Instagram at Split the Difference Podcast 1T. Check out my website at splitthedifference.com 1T. If you have any feedback, if you want to hit me up, ask me any questions. Maybe you'll get featured on a podcast. I don't know. Uh, ask me any questions that you want. Give me a like. Give me a subscribe. Hit those notifications and give me a great review. That stuff helps out a ton. Spread the word and tell your friends if you like what you're hearing. And hopefully I'll be able to continue to do this for many, many more years to come. Thank you for hanging in with me. Always remember, guys, we're going to do our best to keep a level head, to be reasonable, and always split the difference. This is Austin Taylor.